Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Pray with me. Lord God, we come before you recognizing that you are Lord. You're the master of all things. There is nothing that happens but what you do not will it to be so, allow it to be so. Father, we're thankful that you're in control of all things. And Father, we're also mindful that you are a holy God, that you're set apart, that you're not like us. And because of that, your thoughts are higher, your ways are higher, you are other. Yet at the same time, out of your great love and mercy, you sent your son so that we might see, we might know you in a way, in a relatable way, so that we might know that love and that mercy and that grace shown in the person of Jesus shown in the work of Jesus on the cross. And Father, that's the reason we're here today. It's not about any one of us. It's not about all of us collectively. It's about you. And we have gathered to worship you. And so Father, we ask as we open your word, we want you to speak. We're asking you to speak. We're asking you to speak to our hearts asking you to speak into our lives, asking you to speak to our minds and that you would do a work by your spirit and by your word so that we would be transformed more into the image of your son because that's the goal. That's your purpose. And so Father, we give this time to you. We give ourselves to you. We pray that above all, you will be glorified and you will be pleased. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 5 through 7. And as we get started, um, the Bible places a very high premium on unity. You find the idea of unity mentioned again and again and again throughout the Bible. And there are different reasons for that. One reason is that there is this representational aspect of being of the people of God. So you find that the people of Israel in the Old Testament, many times they are regarded as one group. You have the sin of one person that spreads out, and you find, have that one sin of that one person, and that impacts the entire group. And also you find in the New Testament where we're going to be spending time today, you look at the New Testament and you find the idea of the church, the people who are called by God, the people who are called out, the people who are his people, a group of people. And I'm not just talking about lowercase c, I'm talking about uppercase c, I'm talking about the church throughout all the ages, but also as it's manifested, as it's seen in the local church. But you find this idea of the importance 
of unity all throughout the Bible. And there are a few things that we have to think about when we think about unity. And I want us to read these few verses here, and then I just want us to just go through this text and look at some of those things. Romans chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, when we talk about unity, so many times people say, well, all we need is unity. We just need unity. If we could just achieve unity, that's a great goal. But we have to define what kind of unity we're seeking. Not all unity is good unity. Sometimes you may find groups of people who come together for a goal and it is not a good goal, but they're unified. They're all together. And so you have to define what does this mean to have biblical unity and what does it mean to have unbiblical unity? Well, today as we're walking through this, I want us to look at three basic things. I want us to look at what are the means to achieve unity? How do you achieve it? How do you reach it? And then I want us to talk about what's the goal of unity? Why are we even seeking unity? And then I want us to look at the quality of that unity. Can you keep that unity that the Bible calls us to display? So basically it's the means, it's the goals, and it's the quality of unity. And I think in Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7, it lays out those things very, very clearly. So let's start uh, with the first idea of how do you achieve it? What are the means of unity? Well, first of all, we find this. True unity requires reliance upon God's power. True unity requires reliance upon God's power. You can't have true unity any other way. Look at verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Notice Paul starts out and he starts talking about, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you these things. Now in the context, Romans 15 is talking about people who have come into the church from the Jewish background, people who are in the church from the non-Jewish or the Bible refers to them as the Greek background, and there's this potential for disunity. And these verses, the verses we're looking at today, are in that context that Paul is calling them to that unity. But notice he says, may the God of, of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony. He is a God of endurance. He's a God that enables you to bear up under the stress. That's what the word endurance means. We've talked about that recently. To bear up under the stress, to bear up under the pain, to bear up under the discomfort. So he is the God of endurance. So he is the one who gives us true endurance. And not only that, he is the God of encouragement. Literally, he's the one who comes alongside you. That's that, what, what the word means. He's the God who gives you the patience to stay up under those things. And he is the God who walks beside you through those things. And because he is that kind of God, Paul writes, may this God, the God of endurance, the God of encouragement, grant this to you, give this to you. 
What is he giving? Grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Some translations say to be of the same mind. May God give you this. May God grant you the gift of living with the same mind with one another. And notice he says this, in accord with Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the standard. He's the standard that we go by. But the bottom line here is that true unity requires reliance upon God's power. You can't force it. It has to be a work of God. It has to be a work that comes from the heart. If you have siblings, you probably had one of these situations growing up. Apologize to your brother. Say you're sorry to your sister. You know this. We've all had it if you have a sibling. And what do you say? Sorry. Apologize. And then comes, hmm, then comes the four words that we all know all too well. Like you mean it. And then you say, you put on that fake smile, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You don't really mean it. See, there, there may be this semblance of unity. There may be this semblance of everything being okay. But it's not a heart deal. It hasn't, the, the obedience has not sunk to the level of the heart yet. And so you find that we, if we're going to practice true unity, we must rely upon the power of God. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Grant you to live like-minded. Now that's not to say, well, we don't have unity. It must just be because God has not given it to me. Oh, well, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying this is a dismissive type of attitude that we are to have. But we must rely upon God's power for true unity. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, a beloved passage for many people. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, I know we focus in on verse 20. One of my favorite, this is my favorite passage. But we focus in on verse 20. According to the power at, uh, according to the power at work within us. And then we stop. Well, but you see there's verse 21 that continues the thought. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Notice what he's saying. Yes, that power it's above all that we can ask and think. Is it work in each one of us? Absolutely. But the idea of that power at work in this context, he's saying, to him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. That power expressed through the corporate body as we are together, unified, and representing Jesus to the world. Each one of us as individuals represents Jesus to the world. Absolutely. But as the body of Christ, we represent Jesus to the world as a congregation, as a group of people, as the church, the big C church. You find in Psalm 133 verse 1, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Isn't that good when you are truly unified with one another and you're relying upon the power of God to bring that unity? So you find that Paul says, that in order to achieve that unity, we must rely upon the power of God. Because God himself is a God of unity. God's a triune God 
the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's no contradiction. They're in perfect harmony with each other. They are unified. One God, three persons. We don't fully grasp that. We can't fully grasp that. But God himself is a God of unity. And he calls us to rely upon his power. His power in and of himself. What he has. We have his power at our disposal to live in unity with each other for his glory. But we have to rely upon his endurance. And we have to rely upon his encouragement. Because unity is hard, hard business at times. Which brings us to the second point. The goal of unity. Why do we seek it? First of all, how do we achieve it? Relying on God's power. Why do we seek it? Well, it's for God's glory. The goal of unity must be the glory of God. That's the only goal. That's the first foremost goal above everything else. Verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all didn't know this was coming necessarily, this particular verse and everything today but I was sitting down here standing down here a little bit earlier everybody was singing and I was just thinking that's it we we cannot truly worship God in unity unless we are in unity with God himself you've heard me use the example before some of you have that it's like a tuning fork I think it was A.W. Tozer who said that if you have a hundred pianos you don't tune 100 pianos to each other. You have an objective standard. You have a tuning fork. And if you take a tuning fork and you, you strike it and listen to the tone and you tune the first piano to that tuning fork, and then you tune the other piano to the tuning fork, and the third and the fourth and the fifth and all the way to the 100th piano, by default, then all the pianos are in tune with each other because all the pianos are in tune with this outside standard. And, and the same is true with us. When each one of us gets in tune with God, if we're in tune with God, we will by default be in tune with each other. Now, wait a minute. Time out. Dustin, are you saying that that means we're going to agree on every single thing? Oh, no. Not at all. All right? We understand that. There are certain things that we, we don't agree on. Different things people don't agree with. But the most essential things, the important things... The things that are of eternal, lasting values, the things that are true bedrock doctrines, those things we have to agree on. And then we can agree as we move forward. I know there are places where somebody says, I, if, I don't, if all the details are not in agreement with my expectations, then I don't want to move forward. Well, have you ever had anything in your life where every single detail met every one of your expectations? No, no. Not at all. We've all had that. But we're talking about the essential things, the things that, that matter the most, and the most important thing that we could do is to seek the glory of God through our unity. This word that Paul uses in verse 6 here, he says that together you may with one voice. Sometimes it's translated uh, accord. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's used... 12 times in the New Testament, that, that particular word. And 10 of those times it is used in the book of Acts to refer to the apostles, to refer to the church as they're living together, as they're working together, as they're worshiping together, as they're moving forward. 
10 times it's used in the book of Acts. And it, it really illustrates just how together, how unified they were. In fact, uh, if those of you who like word studies, this will be, uh, this will be great. For those of you who don't, it'll still be great. But um, it comes from two words. The two words, it means to rush along, and then it's the word for together, like with each other. That's, that's the basic idea. Uh, in unison, to worship, to, I'm sorry, to rush along in unison. That's the idea. To hurry forward. Forward movement to rush along, but to rush along in unison. And some commentators have said that it almost has a musical quality to it. It almost has a harmonic quality to it. That you're moving along, you're moving forward, and you're moving forward in harmony with each other, rushing along. That's the idea. That together, that you, that you may rush along, move forward in unison, and with one voice glorify God. Isn't that a sweet thing? To move forward and glorify God. As I mentioned, I was standing there down here earlier, and I was, I was just listening to everyone sing, and I was listening to the words that we were singing, and I just kind of got lost in that moment, just just thinking about we're approaching a holy God together as a group and we are singing out to him. We are giving him glory. We are, we are, we are magnifying his name. We are saying, God, you are, you are worthy to receive all this glory. You know, interestingly, many, many, many years ago, churches were organized a little different structurally. I don't know if you knew this, but you would find that many times in some older churches, the choir would not be in front of the audience. The choir would be behind the audience. Now, I'm not saying, let's do a building program and swap everything around. I'm not, not, that's not what I'm saying, all right? And some of you are like, let's just turn the chairs around. No, let's... Illustration, right? The point was... We're not the audience sitting out here. God is the audience. God is the audience of our worship. He is the recipient of our worship, not us. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to glorify God. We're here to lift him up. And so they would put the choir behind everybody as this loud group of voices leading them toward that worship of the one true God. We are to seek the glory of God, and that must be the goal of our unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He's saying, in the, in the, for the sake of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, please seek that unity. How important is unity? Well, if you look in John 17... We're not going to look at these verses this morning, but if you look in John 17, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he is praying, and one of the main things that he prays throughout that prayer in John 17 is for the unity of believers. He's about to go to the cross, and what's on his mind? The unity of believers. I would say it's pretty important. If you knew that you were soon to die, and you had one prayer that was going to be recorded, and it was going to be talked about and read about and repeated throughout the ages— is that what you would pick? That's what Jesus prayed for. 
It's important. It's that important. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Why does that complete his joy? Because he recognizes that unity is for the glory of God. Sometimes do a word study. Just go through your Bible and look at how many times the Bible deals with divisive people dealing with division among God's people. It is a prevalent theme. It is all throughout the Bible. The Bible is very, very firm about divisive people. Romans chapter 16, verse 7. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. This is what Paul is saying in Romans 16. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. It's real straightforward. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That's pretty heavy stuff there. And you can look at the Bible and you can look at times where, where it's talking about how do you deal with church discipline and all sorts of other stuff. Let me give you a, a, what il, the story I always think about that I think illustrates this point better than anything else that I know of. And that was um, a few years ago, I got a friend, I have a friend who, he's still my friend, but uh, uh, he was on staff at a church and he called me and he said, I just want to, I just need to talk through something. I said, sure. And he starts talking and he said, our church cannot move forward. We can't move forward at all. And I said, with what? He said, with anything. So we can't change anything at all. I said, okay, why? He said, well, there's this one woman and she's been there for many years and she always causes problems. She always picks everything apart. She doesn't like this. She doesn't like that. Sits in the back on a particular pew with the rest of her family and he said, and at every turn, she is opposing everything. And then she tries to get a little alliance together, and they try to vote against anything that's going on if she doesn't like it. And she keeps saying they don't want new people to come into the church because if new people come in, they're going to start changing things. And they want any new people. They want to keep it like it is. And they can allow new people if first she basically approves of the new people. And he said, and our pastor can't do anything with her. We can't do anything with her. And so... Uh, we're, I, I just need to vent that. And I, don't, I don't really know what to do. And I said, well, have you all gone and talked to her? Yeah, but she won't listen. She throws a fit. I said, well, have you taken more people to talk to her? Yeah, but she won't listen. I said, well, biblically, you need to bring her before the church. And biblically, you need to, you need to let her know, hey, this is what's going to happen. We're going to bring her before the church. And you're, you're going to either line up with this or, or we're going to have to have a vote as to whether or not you need to continue as a member because you are being very divisive. And that's just biblical. And he said, well, we've talked about that, but our fear is if we did that, the rest of her family would get upset and they would leave too. And I said, well, okay. So how many people are we talking about? He's like, I don't know, like eight. And I was like, so eight people? Yeah. He said, you know, she, and they've done this at other places. I said, okay, so this is, they're repeat offenders. Yeah, yeah, they are. I said, okay. I said, then, uh, so what's the problem? He said, well, nobody wants to touch it situation because they're afraid she's going to take these, the eight family members with her. And I said, so, okay, so let me give you, I said, let me give you, let me just give you a hypothetical. 
Let's say you go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you've got cancer in a finger. Your pinky finger has bone cancer. And the doctor says, now listen, it can sp- it's, it's spreading and it is already starting to spread into the hand, but we think that if we, if we take off the finger, you'll be okay. It may spread to the hand. We may have to take your hand, but definitely if we, if we take the finger and if we have to take the hand, definitely you won't have to deal with that ever again. I said, that's like saying after getting that report from the doctor, you know what? I'm just going to leave it as it is. And the doctor's saying, but if you leave it as it is, it's going to kill you. And you go, no, nah, it ain't worth it. And I said, man, you got, y'all got to do something. You know what happened? Pastor left. Didn't want to deal with it, so pastor left. And then my friend left. And other people left. Healthy parts of the body started leaving. And then before long, there was a whole lot of people gone. And, and uh, as far as I know, probably uh, there will be the uh, cold, dead, cancerous hand clutching the back of that family pew when nobody else is in the building. And uh, they're going to be left by themselves. Can I just tell you, you know, and this, I'm not saying this in some threatening way or anything. I'm just telling you, for us as a church, we will never sacrifice the entire body for the sake of a finger. Okay? We will never do that. We will never, ever, ever do that. And so, and we don't need to do that. Because what was going on there, that was not glorifying God. That was not at all glorifying God. Unity is that important. And unity, the goal of unity must be, must always be, ultimately, the glory of God. And then the final idea is this. How do you keep that unity? Or our continued unity with each other must reveal our continued unity with Jesus. The reason that we can continue in unity, the reason that we can keep unity, the reason that unity can, can persist is because our unity with Jesus endures and lasts and persists. Therefore, welcome one another, verse 7, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The actual verb form of that word welcome or receive in some translations is a word that doesn't just mean welcome or receive, but it means keep welcoming, keep receiving. By extension, keep taking to yourself. Keep welcoming into your home. Keep granting access to your heart. So our continued unity with each other must reveal our continued unity with Jesus. And welcome one another, keep receiving one another, just as Christ has received us. How did he receive us? With grace. How did Jesus receive us? With joy. And and do you not think that there are things that we do that Jesus says, wow. You know, he doesn't love us because we are lovable. He loves us because he's loving. And then he works in us, makes us lovable. But let's just be honest. It's not a matter of Jesus said, that person is so lovable. I'm going to set my favor on that person because they are just so stinking lovable. No, no. It's because of his great love. Not because of who we were, not because of what we did, because of his great love for us. 
And our continued, with, our continued unity with each other is a reflection of our continued unity with Jesus, that he's brought us to himself. He's drawn us to himself. He's granted us access to himself. There's a very famous passage in Ephesians chapter 4 about unity. Listen to this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul is urging the church at Ephesus, you know, walk in a manner that's worthy because of the God who called you, because of the sacrifice of Christ. Walk in worthy in a worthy way. Notice the, the, the description of what it means to walk worthy. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We should be eager to maintain that unity. And then he goes on in verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This unified God and this God who is a one God, this God who is a unified God has brought us to himself and now we're unified with him. We are brought into the family of God. Not that we're deity, but that we, are been, we have been brought into God's own family. And we are united with Christ. And so with this in mind, the way that we are unified and treat each other and live in unity with each other is a reflection of that unity that we have with Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, have unity of mind, sympathy, tolerate one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. No, he says brotherly love. It goes beyond just tolerating one another. Well, we'll just go along to get along. No, we are to strive to actually love one another not just tolerate one another. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say a new command I give to you, tolerate one another. No, we love each other with the same love with which Christ has loved us. And when situations arise, like what's going on in our nation, I mean, 2020 just keeps on rolling, doesn't it? You know, you just click on the news, it's all sorts of fires burning in the western United States and we've got another tropical storm bearing down on the Gulf and all sorts of other things going on and giant mosquitoes, mosquito swarms down in Louisiana killing animals left and right and just all sorts of strangeness going on and in the midst of all this weirdness that's a time that the world needs to see the church living in unity with each other now again I'm not talking about toleration and I'm not talking about ignoring major theological issues I'm talking about living in unity. The late great Francis Schaeffer wrote these words. When everything is going well and we are all standing around in a nice little circle, there is not much to be seen by the world. But when we come to the place where there is a real difference, we exhibit uncompromised principles, but at the same time, observable love. Then there is something that the world can see, something they can use to judge that these really are Christians and that Jesus has indeed been sent by the Father. 
we are to exhibit uncompromised principles with observable love. Loving one another does not mean that we cheat on the uncompromising or the uncompromised or, or principles that we're to compromise on. It doesn't mean that we cheat in that area and we compromise on those things. So they were uncompromised principles. So they're uncompromised principles, but at the same time, observable love. And that type of love, that type of welcoming is a reflection of how we are welcomed by Christ. Colossians 3, verse 14. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's what God has called us to. He's called us to a unity that can only come if we rely upon his power. Are you relying upon God's power to maintain unity? I mean, there are people maybe in your family, maybe people in your circle of influence, maybe people that you come in contact with on a daily basis. Maybe they too are followers of Christ and you're having a really hard time. Can I just tell you, would you pray, God help me to live in unity with these people. God help me to, to exhibit that Christ-like attitude and live in unity. I want to rely on my own. I don't want to rely on my own power. I want to rely on your power and your power alone. Is your goal of unity? Is your goal of unity the right goal? Is your goal for unity to seek the glory of God, or is it why well, we just need to be unified so so it, my business will succeed? I need to be unified so that we can just all get along and be happy. It's like Christmas growing up, certain family gatherings we would go to, my mother would say, listen, don't talk about this, 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 or that, and don't look in a weird way at your cousin because you know they're really overly defensive. Okay, so you get, you get into one of those things. And then whenever you leave, when you finally leave that Christmas get-together and you're going home, the first thing that somebody says is, whew, that went surprisingly well. Not, wow, wasn't it great for all of us to be together and celebrate in unity? No, it was just we dodged another bullet for another year, right? That's how we act so often when we go to church or how we live in the world of Christianity. Well, let's just dodge bullets. Let's just not, don't talk about anything controversial. Don't talk about anything that would upset anybody. Let's just keep it really, really safe and really, really plain. Just give me the vanilla Jesus and we'll all be okay. Everybody likes vanilla, right? No, no. Our goal must be the glory of God at any cost. And then how do you keep it? How do you maintain that unity? By remembering that you are unified with Jesus if you're a follower of Christ. And if we're a follower of Christ, if I'm a follower of Christ and you're a follower and you're a follower and you're a follower, and if we're in tune with him, like those pianos, we'll be in tune with each other. There's another issue of unity. We talked about this whole representational idea as we started this sermon. We're all unified in another way before Christ. That is, we're all in need of salvation. No one is exempt. We're all unified in that way. That's the human condition. We are born into sin, separated from God. And then Jesus came as the representative of perfect humanity, a representative of God, but also he represents us before God. He is our representative. He said, I'm going to take all this sin, all the wrath of sin upon myself. And I'm the representative. And he bore the complete wrath of God upon himself 
so that we might know God. So we're unified in a different way. Before we come to Christ, we're all hopelessly lost in our sin. And yet Christ provides a way that we can be unified with God. But it's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. And he is the one who welcomes us. He is the one who receives us. And he is the one who continues to receive us. Not because we're lovable, not because of anything in and of ourselves, but because that he is that kind of God. So today, if you're here today, or if you're watching, if you're listening, and you say, I've never made that decision, make that decision today. Surrender to him today. As he's calling, surrender to him. So I want to be unified with you, God. I want to be unified through Christ. I want, to, I want to surrender my life. And I just want to live in unity with you, God. And he will do that. And then he will enable you to live in unity with those around you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the gift of unity. And thank you that that gift of unity only comes through Christ. We can't work it up. We can't keep it up. You're the only one who can give that power. You're the only one who can sustain that unity. And it's all about you at the end of it all. It's not about us getting along. It's not about us loving each other in the right way and being able to keep from conflict. It's ultimately for your glory. That's what we seek, God. We seek your glory, not our comfort, your glory. So, Father, I pray that if there's anything in any of our hearts, anything at all, old wound, a fresh, fresh scrape, some hurt feeling, some little seed of irritation that has been planted. Or maybe it's something even greater. Maybe it's a deep dislike or long-lasting grudge. God, I pray that by your power, we might lay all that aside. And we might seek unity. Because you're a unified God. You've called us to unity as a reflection of the unity that's found in you and the unity that we have with you. So, Father, I pray if there's anything that stands in the way of any of us experiencing the kind of unity that you've called us to, I pray you'd point that out. And God, as hard as it is to pray, God, I pray you, you wouldn't give us any peace until we surrender that to you. It's the most merciful thing, that divine discomfort. So, Father, I pray now that you would go before us as a church. You go before the families that are represented here. And that we would seek unity. And we would seek it for your glory and your glory alone. And we would recognize that that is the goal. And we ask that you would be glorified in our lives and in our church. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.